Hey, welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by the Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder. So, is the bottom in? That's what everyone wants to know. The market is up greater than 5% since Monday's lows. The Fed has stated that they see seven interest rate hikes before the end of this year, more than previously expected. And oil retreated below $100 a barrel before heading back over that key level. Not to mention the VIX did drop below 30 this week, but also the Russian invasion continues. And that's not even talking about anything happening in the bond market with all eyes on the spread between the two and 10-year yields getting closer and closer to potentially inverting. So are we all in the clear or is this a bull trap? Let's bring in our headliner for today's episode to help us make sense of this confusion, Catherine Faddis, CEO and CIO of Grace Capital, to get her take on what's going on in these markets. Hey, Catherine, we do appreciate you joining us today. What can you tell us right now? What do you make of these market conditions? Well, it's kind of a perfect storm. Thank you for having me. Okay, the backdrop is the market has been strong for three years. Last year, obviously up 29%, year before 18%, year before that, 30%. So we were expecting a correction anyway. A correction would make sense. So here we come and then wallop. You have this war, you have inflation, you have everything coming together at a time when people were expecting the market to come down anyway. So here it is, the correction. Is it unexpected? No. Would it have found a reason to go down? Probably. Are these some very good reasons for it to go down? Yes. Yeah, not to mention, so super high inflation, right? And I think that's something that we all witnessed this week when the Fed had their presser. We realized that they're being more hawkish than anyone anticipated. Um, and maybe that has to do with the unforeseen scenario of Russia and Ukraine and all the commodities, right? And now we're, we're dealing with an oil market that's just raging through the roof, gas prices that went up that are not retreating. I mean... Are we leading to a recession? I, I struggle to use that word. I don't see us going into a recession. What do I know? I always say every time I'm asked about any prediction, you know, whatever I say is going to be wrong. So if I say we're not, we probably are. But I'm not seeing it from where I sit. I still think there's a lot of pent-up demand. There's a lot of um, covid related savings. There's still a lot of problems on the supply chain side. There's just a lot to sort out. So we're still in a very low rate environment. Yes, the Fed is going to be doing some raising. So I'm not seeing any signs of a true recession. Hmm. Now, when it happens, it'll, anyway, go on. When it happens, if it happens, right? It, we don't really know, as you mentioned, I'm just kind of wondering, though, in this current market environment with everything going on, a lot of investors might be feeling confused and not really know where to allocate capital. Do you have any insight that you can share with them? Yes, I, I do. Look, there's there's a lot going on. So talk about putting capital to work. We have the situation, this war situation. So what, what does that mean? Germany has announced that they're going to be spending 100 billion euro in defense spending. Certainly, defense is a place to be. Energy is probably a place to be. Both normal energy, the, the big oil, you've seen what's happened to energy-related stocks, and alternative energy. I think there's going to be a lot of investment in alternative energy because people are realizing that they can't be dependent on places like Russia. So those are two good areas to be. 
here in the US, I think domestic, if you're worried about recession, if you're worried about some of these issues, I would go with things like staples, pharmaceuticals. If you need to take your drugs, you need to take your drugs. You're still gonna go to Costco, you're still gonna buy your bread, your milk, your eggs. So I think those are two areas that I would be in. I think the areas probably to avoid going forward are technology. Technology certainly is a powerhouse for the future, but these really high, very expensive stocks that are traded on a price to sales basis, they've gotten creamed. I don't think they're coming back anytime soon. So those are those big expensive stocks that have no profit, just revenue. And they're trading at 10 times revenue, 20 times revenue. I think that those that haven't come crashing could come crashing down very quickly. They're very vulnerable. Those are the areas I would avoid. Mm, yeah, interesting point. And I, I believe I have here in my notes in front of me that you mentioned the defense, right? I want to circle back to that. You, you said defense, but kind of curious. Um, you know, we had George Ball on the program the other week, and he was saying how he really loves cybersecurity here. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that sector. I do. I think cybersecurity is great. I agree with, I, I agree entirely, because when you think about defense today, you're not just talking about actual, you know, making bombs, Lockheed, some of those names, Northrop Grumman, you are definitely talking about cybersecurity. So if you look at names like a Fortinet, CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, uh, these are names that I think absolutely should be owned in this environment. They're important. I mean, and that goes to Microsoft has a strong defense um, um, cyber, cyber uh, component as well. So I think those names are interesting. I mean, some of the ones like a Fortinet or a Palo Alto, I think they're very important because if you look at what they do, it, I just believe that they are critical in stopping bad actors. CTOs are going to be looking at their architecture and saying, what can we do to protect ourselves? So I, 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 I agree with that. Yeah, that's interesting. So I have a follow-up question there, though. So obviously within Russia and Ukraine, I think a lot of people have noticed, um, you know, Anonymous has gotten involved in the cyberspace. So, our, I mean, obviously we're not anticipating that level of dark web attack in America, but are these Fortinets, these CrowdStrikes and everything, are these like the top tier cybersecurity companies out there that companies will probably flock to in this environment? I think they are. I, I think they're doing some very interesting um, things. I mean, when you when you talk about cybersecurity, there's a whole range of, of cybersecurity. Certainly CrowdStrike is really at the edge, okay? Really at the edge along with something, a company like Norton, even though I think CrowdStrike is a place to be. But I mean, then you talk about network. When you, you talk about identity, identity is very important. A company like Okta, Okta is one that we own. Okay, Okta, make sure you are who you say you are. Okta, make sure that if you need information from Facebook or somewhere else, they can give you the information without identifying you, without giving them all of your credentials. So there's that component. Um, you, you look at, there, there, there are just several components if you look into that cybersecurity space, and they're equally, they're equally important. So I, I think it's a great space to be. I think there, you have to pick your pick your position where you want to play. I mean, certainly going back to a Palo Alto, 
this is really um, the if you're when you when you talk about the firewall, the firewall coming into the office, coming into the home, protecting you at that end. There, there, and it's a. I think it's a. It's a large area. It's an important area, and whichever area you decide to play in. I think you're going to be successful. Let's go back to commodities real quick, though, right? Commodities are raging through the roofs, depending if you're talking about nickel over on the LME exchange, that's coming up a lot lately. Um, we, we talk a lot about oil and gas, right? What are your thoughts about what investors should be anticipating coming down the road? Is, is it still flight to oil sector in these times? Or is it kind of, eh, this move's gone on too much and we're going to see, who knows, taps open in America or something else? No, I mean, I, I think with commodities, with oil, with gas, there is always a lag. Well, let's start with, for example, oil. There's a lag between right now oil prices are high. Now all the producers are going to start producing like crazy. There's going to be a lag, six months, eight months. By the time you come up to that lag, then we're going to be in an oversupply situation. Same thing you're going to see that with other commodities, uh, with wheat. These are important commodities. Uh, wheat, corn, uh, soybeans, and a lot of these commodities were very, they came from places like Russia, the, from the Ukraine. Uh, the numbers, I think, uh, if you look at, this is according to the University of Illinois, Russia and Ukraine provide 30% of wheat exports. Ukraine, 14% of corn exports, 32% of barley exports, nearly 40% of sunflower exports come from both Ukraine and Russia. There are other, um, other commodities um, of a similar nature. So what's gonna happen? People are gonna be looking for alternative locations. People are gonna be looking for, because there's also the issue, Greek ships are not allowed to go into Russia and Ukraine. So people are gonna be looking for additional sources. The price is gonna go up. I never like playing the commodity game because the minute the price goes up, that's gonna be the time to sell. If you stay too long, you wake up one day and the party's over. And you kind of saw that really recently with the price of oil. You saw that recently with some of these oil stocks. You know, one day, poof, they were down 10%. So I don't love playing the commodity game. I would prefer to play it through some of the companies like an Archer Daniel Midlands. Um, obviously, Car a company like Cargill is private. Otherwise, it could be a great way to play commodities. So, Catherine, that's all really great points. I was wondering from here on, what investors... Um, you know, specific stocks. We like to talk about specific stocks. What stocks are, would you recommend in this environment at this time to investors? I'm going to go with meat and potatoes. Okay, one, one great idea, I've got several, is Amgen. Amgen is a biotech company, $25 billion of revenue, market cap of $127 billion. So they have their own patented drugs as well as generics which for biotech, they call them um, biologics. And they're a little different from generics. Um, they have a great pipeline. Now, 30% of their pipeline comes from inflammation, black psoriasis, um, names like Embrel, Tesla, another 40% from oncology, another 20% they call general drugs like Prolia, it's $3.2 billion a market cap. Now the stock is cheap, it yields over 3%, trades at a discount to the market at a PE of 21 times and they priced a free cash flow of 15 times. We love free cash flow. Uh, the market has been discounting drug companies because they're concerned about the revenues falling off of a cliff. Now you have to remember, these are biologics, very hard biosimilars, uh, very hard to replicate. 
So you're not going to have the normal cliff. I, I say it's less of a cliff, more of a bunny slope. Management has put out revenue growth targets to 2030, mid-single-digit uh, revenue growth for a $200 billion company. That's pretty impressive. So I think they're, they're also going to buy back 6 billion shares in Q1. I think this is a buy. And you know we put a buy on it not so long ago. I think it's performing well. Another one, if you have time, is waste management. Okay, I'm gonna go back to meat potatoes, meat potatoes and garbage. Uh, waste management um, has actually been a great place to be. Garbage has been a great place to be. It's beaten the S&P on a five-year basis, beaten the S&P on a one-year basis. I uh, was down a little bit year to date, now it's doing better. And waste management handles all sorts of, I think everyone knows, solid waste. They pick up your trash, residential, commercial, industrial. They're also a huge recycler. Now they're in renewable waste. Solid waste, as you know, turns into methane, okay? Turns into gas in the ground, they collect it. But once upon a time, they would flare it off. Now they own and operate their own landfills that converts the gas to energy. It's also on that front, an ESG story. So if you look at waste management, they, most of their own vehicles now, um, they use their own gas to run their vehicles. They trade at 29 times price to free cash flow. They expect it to grow a steady 6% a year, mostly due to price. It's a domestic story. You don't have to worry about wheat exports or corn or the war. You still have to trash. And I think this is a buy. So, um, I mean, another um, name, if we have time, do we have time? Yes, please, by all means. Okay, another name that I think is interesting is Chenier Energy. Again, this is another one we've owned for a long time. Chenier is a very direct beneficiary of what's going on because the U.S. has a hundred year supply of natural gas. So Chenier brings the natural gas down to Corpus Christi, brings it down to Texas, and then cools it down into LNG tankers and ships it to places like Korea, Korea gas, you know, India, and now increasingly Europe. What is nice about Chenier has a nice yield over 6%. They have take or pay contracts. That means they make money no matter what happens to the price of gas. They make money no matter how much volume they ship because the companies that are all investment grade that are buying from them basically guarantee them the price and guarantee them the volume. So they just get a fee. They have about five to 15% that they have not sold in the forward market. So now when prices are super high, they get to play around and they're making a lot of extra juice right now. So Chenier is one I like. Yes, it's uh, we are ESG investors, but we think of gas as a transitional um, fuel to on the way to alternative ultimately. So those are some names that we think are interesting. Yeah, that's really amazing. I really appreciate you sharing those insights with us, Catherine. You have a great weekend, okay? Thank you for having me. Yep, we'll talk again soon, everyone. That is Catherine Faddis, CEO and CIO of Grace Capital. Now, uh, last week, we introduced a segment called Quant Check, where our head of quantitative strategy here at Seeking Alpha, Stephen Kress, gave you a rundown of a semiconductor stock that he says is a buy right now. And, well, folks, he's back again. That's right. Stephen Crest is here to give you another stock. Steve, how are you doing today? What do you have for us? 
Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, to, I'm mixing it up a little bit today. Uh, still love some of those semiconductors, uh, especially on. But today, I'm going with a strong dividend yield stock. I uh, really like the interview that you had with uh, George Ball uh, a week or so ago. Uh, you know, he had recommended, you know, going light on some of those FANG stocks, uh, pay attention to some dividend stocks. And uh, within that spirit, I wanted to come across today with Fidelity National Financial, ticker symbol FNF, currently trading at $49. It is a quant strong buy. Also, it was one of the top quant picks for 2022. It has outperformed the S&P. Year to date, the stock is off 3.8%, but that's compared to an S&P 500 that's down 8%. The dividend yield is an impressive 3.6% versus the S&P 500 dividend yield at about 1.3%. So you really get paid to wait during this market volatility. From a data-driven perspective, the stock looks good on a number of measures. Dividend quant grades are very strong across the board. Dividend safety grade is a B. Dividend growth grade is a B plus. Stock has an excellent valuation framework. And in terms of its sector, it's a safe way to play US housing. Largely the backbone of my recommendation are the strong seeking alpha quant grades. Remember, all the grades are relative to the sector. So the grade you see instantly characterizes the strength or weakness of the factors to its peer sector. So as we look at the factor grades, we see for valuation, we have a B plus. For growth, we have a B plus. For profitability, we have an A minus. For momentum, it's a B. And for analyst earning EPS revisions, it rates as a B plus. So it's really strong across the board on all the factors that are important to us. We're going to dig into the factor grades, but first, I wanted to highlight a key sentiment yesterday from Fed Chair Powell. Inflation is an issue. For investors, that means that you have to continue to inflation-proof your portfolio. A good way to do this is to add financial stocks. As rates move up, financial institutions have the ability to pass along costs to consumers. This washes out having to pay higher rates on deposits as they can pass on those costs to customers with higher interest charges on the products that they have. In the face of inflation, the housing market is still tight. Additionally, chances are this year, as the Fed takes rates up, real estate buyers will be in a mad dash to purchase their homes. Couple of points that I wanna highlight here. Mortgage rates just topped 4% for the first time since 2019. Last year, the median sale price for a typical U.S. home hit a record high. And in February, the unemployment rate edged down to 3.8%. These are really all important factors, but still indications of healthy factors for housing. All this means is that the housing market is likely to remain strong. As Seeking Alpha contributor Garrett Duck has said, since the beginning of the pandemic, demand has outstripped supply and prices have skyrocketed. Buyers are capitulating and sellers are standing their ground. Between them is Fidelity National Financial making record profits off the hot market. First, I'd like to cover the incredible valuation framework of the stock. As you can see on the valuation card, FNF has an overall B plus grade. More importantly, underlying value metrics such as PE have straight A's across the board. 
not only is the stock at six times versus 11 times for the sector, but the P is also at a 40% discount to its five-year historical average. So it's at a discount to both the sector and its history. Now let's look at the growth card. On growth for revenue, EBITDA, and EBIT, the company posted straight A factor grades, and it possessed stronger growth than the sector, and it has also outstripped its five-year historical average growth rate. So again, the stock looks good on a growth perspective compared to the sector and its historical average. I want to move on to the profitability card. FNF earned an A minus grade overall. In respect to profitability, return ratios are really important. Okay. And for the return ratios on FNF, we have straight A's. The return on equity is 27%. The return on capital is 16%. And the return on assets is 4%. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley would be envious of these profitability ratios. Lastly, I want to hit on the dividend factor grades. Since this is a dividend play, it's a real important aspect for CK Alpha to look at dividend grades. For dividend safety, we have a B. For dividend growth, a B plus. For dividend yield, A minus. And for dividend consistency, a B. Remember, dividend grades are all sector relative as well. The dividend safety grade tells you how safe the stock's dividend is. The dividend growth rate tells you how the company's potential is to grow its dividend. The dividend yield grade tells you how track of the stock's dividend yield is. And the dividend consistency grade measures how consistent the company has paid a dividend and how consistently the company has raised its dividend all in a single grade. It's sort of like a dividend champions and a dividend aristocrats grade combined into one. With both dividend safety grades and dividend growth grades in B territory, investors are in a better position to sleep at night with this stock. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my views on Fidelity National Financial. That's really amazing, Steve. Really appreciate you giving us the rundown there. Also, I mean, as you mentioned, the, the housing market, we just got numbers uh, this week as well that housing starts are like skyrocketing through the roof. So it's interesting how, you know, you talk about mortgage rates are going up over 4%, but there still seems to be buyers. There are buyers. I think, you know, we're going to probably have a record new homes hit the market uh, this year. So there will be additional supply to the market. And, you know, as mortgage rates, you know, move up, maybe the growth rate might not be as hot as it was last year, but it's still going to be incredibly strong. So it puts this, uh, you know, bank in a great position. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Thank you so much, Steve. You have a great weekend, okay? Thank you very much. Take care. All right. And you know what time it is. Everyone's favorite segment, because it's towards the end of the episode. Now let's go ahead and bring in Seeking Alpha's own Kim Khan for this week's Catalyst Watch. Well, we've got a little something for everyone next week. If you're a fan of electric vehicles, you've got NEO earnings and you've got Nikola's Investor Day. If you're a fan of sneakers, you got Nike earnings and you've got Adidas Investor Day. On the tech side, we've got um, NVIDIA GTC Developer Conference. That's going to be a focus on AI, cybersecurity, crypto. Also a lot of interesting headlines from that. Uh, what I'm looking most looking forward to, though, is um, Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic speaking on Monday. He obviously drew the short straw at the Fed meeting and is the first one out of the gate to defend everything that Powell said um, at his press conference and, and the dot plot and a lot of other stuff. And Dan, I know that you're a big fan of a flattening or inverting yield curve. So we're looking now just about 20 basis points between twos and tens, and you actually got an inversion. 
on the fives and tens for the first time since March 2020 yesterday. So it should be an interesting time. Are investors expecting this first Fed speak to drop any new knowledge or are we just kind of hyping this up a little bit? I'm just curious. I don't think that, I mean, they're, they're practice enough not to kind of put their foot in their mouth in any way, but sometimes, you know, someone comes out very strongly uh, for one position or another and it does move in the market. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, if James Bullard was coming out Monday, if he was the one who voted for 50 basis points, there'd be a lot more excitement. Right now, I think you'll see a lot of defending of the, you know, what Powell had to say, that they've got a hawkish tilt, that they're really concerned about inflation, but the economy can withstand it. Yeah, I think they're all, all eyes are on inflation right now, right? They, they put out that they also want to see inflation back down around 4% towards the end of the year. So it seems like they've got a little bit of work to do, but obviously with the first hike they just implemented, uh, it feels like we're in a wait and see mode. We'll have to see. Yep. All right, Kim, you have a great weekend, and we'll see you again uh, here in the next episode. Thanks, Ben. Now, everyone, that wraps it up for us here on the Weekend Bite. Everyone stay safe and have a great weekend.